children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. We're going to turn in our Bibles to uh, John chapter 8, and we are going to read from John chapter 8. And uh, though it is not Easter Sunday, uh, we are not going to necessarily move on from Easter Sunday. You don't move on from the cross or from resurrection. You don't, you don't move on from the need for Jesus. And so we're going to read in uh, John 8 and continue to consider uh, who it is that Jesus is by considering his own words about himself. And we'll, we'll take one more uh, look at this next week when we'll, we'll look at Jesus saying, I am the vine, and then we're going to be moving back into Matthew, and we'll work through chapter 7. And uh, if you're not on the church email list, uh, then you're not going to receive the, the resource I'm going to send out tomorrow or Tuesday but uh, leading into Matthew chapter 7, I want your feedback on applications from Matthew 7. And so you'll get that in your email, uh, along with a brief explanatory video from me uh, at some point this week. So pray for me as I try to pull all those pieces together and get them to you. Uh, we're going to read John 8, and then we'll pray and consider what God has to say to us from his word. John 8, verse 12 it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you in the daylight in a room that is well lit. And so we sit in this place praying, eyes closed in darkness when we open them, we will see light. And we are surrounded by symbols and signs that testify to your identity. You said you are the light of the world. Each and every one of us is born in the world, uh, born in a place where we are alienated from you and rebelling against you, and we are born in darkness, but the good news of the gospel is that a great light has dawned and that we can come to that light. 
The Bible says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. And so we thank you for being a light in the darkness, a light that frees us from the lies of Satan, a light that illuminates the truth in the midst of a difficult world and a light that, that shines into our conscience and rebukes our inward sin and challenges us and changes us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us now. Teach us. I pray if there's anyone here who has not put their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior, that they would be moved by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning and that they would give control of their life over to you. And Father, for those who are here who worship you and have followed you for many years, I pray that they would be encouraged and built up and given increased confidence in who they are in you, what it is that you bring to them in, in terms of all that you are and then what that means for their mission and their purpose in life. We pray that you would teach us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I'm going to take my jacket off. It's a little warm up here. Is it a little warm out there, maybe? We would check that thermostat and see if it's still on. I think the other ones are off. Um, so I'm going to give it to Nancy because she gets upset when I throw my jacket on the floor. Um, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, but when I was a kid, there was this book. Uh, I think it uh, was by Dr. Seuss. Well, I know it was by Dr. Seuss. I can't think of the title. And in it, uh, there are all of these uh, things that, um, where, where, where there are all these fictitious, crazy inventions. And, uh, and one of them is a flash dark, right? Not a flashlight. You flip it on, and it projects dark, right? And, and that's, that's funny. We had some guys in here doing a sound system a estimate. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we can also do lights. And we were like, yeah, talk to us about that. And they said, well, we can get all these, uh, we'll get all these LED lights for you that'll project light on the stage. And they can do all these different colors. And I was like, that's cool. Can they do black? Right? <laughs> and they all kind of looked at me like, is he serious? And I didn't, you know, I tried to keep my stony face. And then they were like, ah. Uh, human beings from the moment that they were expelled from the garden have had this battle, have had this struggle, the, the struggle to keep the lights on, the struggle to keep the fire burning. Think about how you feel. If you've maybe had an experience like me, when the power goes out and the light won't go on and you know that the power's out and you're like, okay, the power's out, the power will come back on, but yet you find yourself doing this thing where you're near the light switch and you're like, click, and you turn it on and you're like, maybe it'll come on. And then you're like, oh wait, maybe it's on. And you turn it off and then you're like, instinctively you think in your brain, you're just like, well, if I flip the switch, the lights will come on and you do it again, right? You just, you, you want the light back on because it's supposed to be on. As human beings, we crave light and we fear darkness because we know that 
in the darkness that there's danger and that there's death and that there are things with sharp claws and fangs and poison that want to get us, right? We know that. I'm not talking about bedtime monsters. I'm talking about real stuff like tigers and pumas and we got turkey vultures here on the eastern shore. Those things are scary. They are. I was, I was out walking yesterday, and, uh, and there were these two turkey buzzards in the road, and I was like, I'm going to threaten them before they, like, peck at me. And so I'm, like, clapping, and they're just, like, <laughs> flying, like, ten feet down the road, and they keep landing there. And I'm like, they're going to they're gonna talk to one another and be like, let's take this punk, you know? Um, if I don't see them coming in the dark, you know? Anyway, dark is bad, and so people from... The dawn of human existence have craved light and fire. And think about it. It wasn't until Thomas Edison, just a couple hundred years ago, before we, 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 we had light bulbs where everything was fire-driven. We need light. Jesus speaks this phrase in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He teaches this in the middle of a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people would celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. The, the Jewish people would celebrate that deliverance, and they would live, they were supposed to live out in booths, and some people would build these tent-like structures on the roofs of their homes, or they would live out in the street for the days of this festival. Um, Jesus at this time, teaches the people. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen to what a Bible scholar, D.A. Carson, says about this festival. This is a quote from the book called, a uh, Jewish book of wisdom called the Mishnah. He who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never in his life seen joy. This extravagant claim stands just before the description of the lighting of the four huge lamps in the temple's court of women and of the exuberant celebration that took place under their light. Men of piety and good works danced through the night holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. People in the West did not invent the concept of all-night dance parties or raves. You know, like this is, this is happening back then. They were out there partying in the streets in Jerusalem during this festival. The Levit That's not the quote, by the way. This is me talking about it, the, the dance party thing. The Levitical orchestras cut loose, and some sources attest that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles, with the light from the temple area shedding its glow over all Jerusalem. It is in this context that Jesus declares to the people, I am the light of the world. So that's the occasion for the saying. Let's analyze the statement for a moment. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That means what's written here is that Jesus is the light of the world. He is saying that the one who follows him will no longer walk in darkness, but instead they will possess the light of life. Now, fast forward through the passage and see what happens. They say to him, 
the Pharisees in verse 13, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're saying you are saying something that is not substantiated. They're upset. So now they're, they're going to the legal rules of evidence. And then Jesus begins to speak back to them and to give them some, some, some justification of why his statement is true. They say to him in verse 19, after he brings up his father, they say, where is your father? Insulting his parentage. You remember, he was born of Mary and Joseph is no longer on the scene. And so they're insulting him saying perhaps that he was born or conceived out of wedlock. Where is your father? Jesus says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught, but no one arrested him. We might think, like, where does that come from? That's because we don't understand. If, you, if you're like, hey, why, why, does that, why does that fire them up? We don't understand the Jewish context of what he is saying what Jesus said, those are fighting words. And I'm going I'm to walk you through that. They were frothing mad and ready to like haul him off and put him in jail at this point for teaching heresy. They were upset with Jesus. Why? Why? Let's consider the meaning of what he said. Now, some people will say this to you. At times, they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe that Jesus is God because in the New Testament, Jesus never claims to be God. And you might think, like, oh, good objection. Don't be scared of that. Don't be scared of that. No, no, this is, like, we, we're, we're good in this territory, okay? So if you've ever been nervous, cease to be nervous and think, like, okay, I'll give you some stuff to write down here. Here's my objection number one to that statement. Uh, objection number one is that there are the I am statements in the Gospels. The I am statements. We've looked at three of them, right? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection, and now we're looking at I am the light of the world. Next week, we're going to look at I am the vine, okay? And there are, there are three more. Um, Matthew 14, 27 gives us a different kind of statement. It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them. There, the disciples are freaking out because they're on a boat, and there's storms and, 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 and raging lightning and thunder, and they're terrified, and they're screaming out, we're going to die. And then they look, and they see a ghost coming at the boat, this apparition walking just on the surface of the water. And Jesus is like, have no fear. Take heart. It is is I. He says, I am to them. That's how it's written in Greek. Ego eimi, I am. So what? Exodus 3.13. Go all the way back into the Old Testament, right? The, the Jewish people are in captivity. Uh, they, had been, they had been formed into a nation by uh, Abraham leaving Ur and going down to this land, and then Jacob and Isaac, and then they go into Egypt to avoid dying from famine. They grow into a mighty nation, and then the Egyptians try to exterminate them because the Egyptians are thinking, we're going to get outnumbered, right? Moses attempts to liberate them, kills someone, right, and then runs away when, when the people don't rise up in popular revolt. They reject him. But he goes out and he, and he shepherds sheep for 40 years. And then he sees a burning bush and God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And Moses is worried. And Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When someone claims authority in teaching in a Jewish context and they say, I am the light of the world, everybody understands what's being said. This is a claim to deity. I would hope at this moment if I were to say, I am Jesus reincarnated, the elders would, would rush the stage and knock me over and take the microphone away. None of you guys are moving. All right, I'm not gonna, no, 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 we're not gonna do it. Yeah, all right. So, so what, what, what he's saying here is that he is, he is saying, I am, and he is making a claim to deity. Now, some scholars have said this is, this is Jesus making himself equal with God. Well, if you are equal with God, then you are God. And so, like, okay, understood. That doesn't change what, what we think. Jesus did claim to be God, and he does this through the I am statements. Second, there's the remainder of what he says here, which is that he claims to be the light of the world. Now, that might not seem like fighting words either, but if you take a walk through the scriptures with me now, and we look at the theme of light in the Old Testament, we will see that this also is troubling to them. Light led the people in the wilderness. And so you see the close connection here. Exodus is the beginning of the deliverance of the people of God. And then there is a light theme connected to it. And so Jesus is, is drawing on their shared history and their, and their understanding of their origins. And he's pointing out his identity using that. Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Light led them in the wilderness. Light protected them from their enemies. Exodus 14, 19 says, The angel of God who is going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood uh, before them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. This is that incredible scene in Exodus. I love the way it's in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, Pharaoh is like, get out of here, leave, and all the people leave, and then there's the celebration story, and then Pharaoh, they go back to him, and he's sitting on his throne, and he's like, get my slaves back, <laughs> right? You know, and he sends his army, and they all come, and there's this, this uh, drawing of the, the people of Israel starting to run into the water, and here come the chariots, like this terrifying scene. Um, the cloud comes between the army of Egypt and the people of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, it says, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Moses stretches out his hand right over the sea. The Lord begins to drive the sea back. This doesn't take place in five minutes like it does in the Ten Commandments movie. It took all night for this to happen, you know. And I'm thinking the people were like, is something happening? Like, we can't see. You know how when you're on the beach and you're looking at the water and you're like, you can kind of see some things, but you kind of are not really sure what's going on there. You know, like, am I seeing what I'm, you know? And, and, and so, so they're, they're probably like, no, something's happening. No, I'm not sure. Something's happening. No, no. It took all night. And in the morning watch, verse 24, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. 
And then they begin to flee. They think they have a moment and they enter into the water as the, as the people escape and the water crashes in on them and kills them. In the wilderness, the Lord supported his people as light. Psalm 27 says that the Lord is the light of believers. Psalm 27, 1. What a powerful verse to memorize to fight back fear and anxiety. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Did you catch that? The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's not two separate things, the way Hebrew poetry works. Those things are equal, connected. Salvation and light are connected. We saw it in the wilderness. God gives his word to people, and that is light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 6, 23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Spiritual wisdom from the Lord who is light and salvation comes to us and as biblical scholars and Christians and, and Hebrew scholars have said for centuries that we are enlightened as we learn the truth of God's word. Salvation is accomplished by light. Light delivers. Psalm 44, verse 3. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Fast forwarding from the Psalms to the prophets, Isaiah spoke and said that the Messiah, the servant, would be light. And he wasn't just going to come for the one tiny little tribe of people. No, no, no. That's too small a thing. Notice the play on words and the way that they translate this, this verse here in English. I think it's the same way in Hebrew. Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This idea when Messiah comes that a light dawns in Israel and then that light begins to spread throughout the world, illuminating the whole world. Isn't that amazing? Messiah. And the Bible predicts that one day there will be a reunion with God in light. Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Right? Darkness as a symbol of, of suffering and oppression and being imprisoned and being despairing and struggling and in pain. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And everyone rolls up their sleeves, angry, these Pharisees, 
who oppose him. There's an entire group of people standing around like what is going to happen because they like Jesus and they like what he's saying, but they also understand, man, if you if you touch the, the wrong control button and the Pharisees start freaking out, like somebody's going to die because they are connected to Rome and Rome doesn't tolerate troublemakers. So here comes the objection. The Pharisees say to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. This is a a legal technicality. Under the law, you needed the evidence of two witnesses speaking in order to validate something. And Jesus here is speaking alone. They keep bringing this up throughout his ministry. Here he responds to them and he says, I testify about myself and I am one and my father testifies about me and he is the other witness. He'll later go on to say, judge me by what I say and judge me by my works, their evidence too. They're a witness as well. It's amazing in in the gospel of Luke, Jesus will say to a man who's lowered through the ceilings, a crippled man, and we all Imagine what must it be like to be crippled like that from birth and to be unable to move and to be drawn in on yourself in pain and your muscles are all locked and you can't, you can't move. You don't know what it's like to, to feed yourself or to walk. And, and we think this guy needs healing. And his friends tear a hole in the tile of the roof of Peter's house and they lower him down and they put him right in front of Jesus who's teaching. Imagine what that must have been like. Like the tiles start falling in, you know, everybody's like scattering and this guy just kind of descends on these ropes as his friends lower him in. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, why do you reason in your hearts? saying, how does this man claim to forgive sins? How are you, how are you saying that? Why are you thinking that way? And, and, and the obvious reason why they're thinking that way is that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, which is more difficult to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Now, in my consideration of that, I think it's more difficult to say rise up and walk because I could tell any of you your sins are forgiven and you have no way of knowing, right? But I think from their perspective, they thought it's much more difficult to say your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. And so then he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power and authority to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk, and the man gets up. And so the testimony that's there is Jesus' own words and the works which back up his words. How does he do that if God's not behind him? Eventually they'll say that he's got a demon and that, and that he's possessed and that Satan is, is doing these things. This is the objection that, that comes when we speak to the world or when people hear the claims of Christ saying, I am the light of the world, and they say, no. They, they understand, people understand instinctively, listen, I was there, 
I lived this where I knew that, that in order to, to move into this place, I was living in darkness. And in order to move and to cross the border into the land of the living or Jesus country or gospel land, whatever you want to call it, I knew that things would have to change. And inside, I conjured up and produced all kinds of arguments against it. What they're doing here is presenting a technicality to Jesus and saying, you're testifying about yourself and no one's backing you up and so it's not true. They're not proving what he's saying is false, but they're saying that his argument is not valid. How do we respond to this as believers? We understand that the argument that people make when they don't wish to be convinced is one of convenience to themselves, and it's often technicality. There's an amazing instance in the book of Exodus when the people are being afflicted with, I believe it's the fourth plague, the plague of frogs. Whenever I say numbers out loud, I always get into trouble. So it's a plague, X plague, how about that? Um, find the value of X. Um, so what is it? Oh, oh, math, right? We love math. Um, the fourth plague comes, and they've got frogs everywhere, right? Frogs in their houses, frogs in their food, frogs just everywhere. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, or Moses says, God will take the frogs away. And Pharaoh says, good. And Moses says, when do you want the frogs to go away? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Like, not today, not now. Can you imagine? He just, he, he refuses in his heart to give glory to God. And instead he says, tomorrow. And, uh, and, and, he, and he is unmoved by the plight of his people. He does not wish to be convinced. He does not desire that his heart be changed. When Jesus says he is the light of the world and people reject, it is because so often they understand that there will be moral implications of acknowledging the truth of his teaching, that there, that there will be demands on their life, that things must of necessity change if Jesus is Lord and Savior. This is what Bible scholar Doug Moo says. That's his name. I'm glad it's not mine. But he's a great Bible scholar. He says this, light must always be accepted for itself, notwithstanding the objections of the blind. Light establishes its claim and does so not by its arguments, but by shining. Jesus had demonstrated the miraculous. He teaches. He would do it again. But he embodies the truth that he will prove in John chapter 9 that he can open the eyes of the blind and then he will teach at the end of John 9 that there are none so blind as those who insist that they can see unassisted. They refuse to come to the truth. Let's bring this home in terms of application and, and consider what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. John 1.4 says that the word was in the beginning. He was from the beginning. He was with God and he was God. Verse 4 says in him was life and the life was the light of men. 
Verse 9 of John 1 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Listen, there are no alternate truths. There are no alternate facts in the world. There are only facts and falsehoods. And there is only one truth and only one light. And he is the foundation of all of the world's light. Did you hear that in John 1, 9? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There is no light apart from him. All truth, all everything is God's and is from God. And it is summed up and celebrated in the person of Jesus. And that's what he's saying. I am the light of the world. He is the pinnacle and epitome of everything God wants us to know about himself and ourselves and everything. And then he says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. More light talk in John. John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We want to remain in the comfort zone. We want to be in the place of power. We want to be in the place where we are giving approval to what is good or bad, right? Where we are the judge of good and evil. Where we, like the serpent said, are like God. And we don't want to give that stuff up. Verse 20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We walk into the light from the darkness and we are immediately aware of all of the the dirt and the scum and the mess that's with us. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Work, uh, light exposes our flaws. Now, we have this feeling that, that somehow that if we come into the light that we will die, right? There's an entire species of, of animals. There are probably several species that understand this, right? But, but none perhaps represent this truth as well as uh, the palmetto bug, right? That's what they call them in South Carolina. We're from New Jersey. We call them giant cockroaches, right? Where we lived in South Carolina, they were everywhere. We lived in the dust basin, right? The central basin. Wasn't that what it was called? Yeah. And there were bugs. They were huge. There was no winter ever, it felt like. And so there was no cold, and they never died. They just got bigger. They looked like little armored cars moving everywhere, right? And so when we moved in, my wife said we moved into this little mobile home, which was an amazing place to live. For a couple of years, we call it trailer, sweet trailer. And, and I would come out. She was, like, she was like, you will get me Orkin. And I did. And I would come out early in the morning, and I would go through our, our little place, and I would pick up these cockroaches and throw them away. So that the baby, that's Sam, would not pick them up and put them in his mouth. And I would, I would go and I would look, and I would try to, try to hide them. But occasionally, we would encounter these, these big cockroaches, right? You know, and sometimes you would see them. Listen, we, we, this, we, were not, we did not have cockroaches, right? You know, it wasn't like dirty or anything. They were just everywhere. 
And so you'd come out sometimes in the night and you'd flip on the light and you would see them go and hide. They would just run from you knowing, they know instinctively that if they remain in place, death is coming for them. Like, I, I am the destroyer. I will crush you and punish you. You are in my house, you know. You will die. We have this instinctive sense that we, we understand and we know that we own our works and that our sins are credited to us and that, that we will be held responsible for them. We know this because God put this truth within us. He built it into our conscience. And we fear that if we will come to him, we will be judged. We understand the truth of 1 John 1.5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We run from the truth instinctively, but the good news of the gospel is this. The book of Hebrews says that we have a Savior who was like us and that was tempted like us and so that we can come to him in a time of need. That means that when we are aware of our sins, we are to walk out into the light knowing that a holy God will judge us, but he has also made a way for salvation and forgiveness of sins to come to us. 1 John 1, 7 says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The gospel is that though we instinctively understand our own sinful cockroachiness, that if we walk out into the light and into the presence of God and we acknowledge the truth of his standards and say, you are right and good and true in all that you say, and I understand what should be coming to me because of my sins, I hate them and forsake them. Would you please forgive me? God says yes, because he's taken those sins and he's put them on Christ. And that's why he suffered and died to pay the penalty for our sins. The Bible says he was crucified for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification and we can have his life in us. 1 John 1.5 draws this, this point to the place that I believe this is the point of pain for the Pharisees who are listening. John says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. God is light. Okay, now, now listen. Knowledge is not light. Saving Knowledge, illumination, is not possible apart from God himself. It's inseparable from him. And you know what that means? That means that we, will, we don't ever cross into Jesus' territory and then move on from our need for Jesus. We don't, we don't have to pursue a, a higher life or a different calling or you know, have some kind of different spiritual experience. We have every spiritual blessing that we need, Ephesians 1.3 says, in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we've got it and then we can go and live any way that we want. It means that, that we need to stay at the place of dependence and need for God himself. 
Light is inseparable from God. We never stop needing it and him. I believe it's Doug Moo who said, light is not a natural human possession. It comes only from Christ, and it is not a separable entity that may be possessed in itself. It's not an objective revelation that people may receive and hug to themselves. Jesus is the light. To have the light is to have Jesus. There is no light apart from right relationship to him. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Gospel advance. The mission of the church moves forward, not as we take political stands, not as we virtue signal what it is that we're against online in the worlds of Facebook and say like, oh my goodness, I can't stand this or that or when people do that. The gospel moves forward as we give credit and glory to God and his son, Jesus, our savior. That is the name that saves. It's the only name that saves. We need to be ultra careful as we witness and share with people that this is not just a, a conflict of values, but instead that what we do is we seek to guide and lead the conversation to the place where we found life where we found light to Jesus himself. He is the light of the world. Now, it says, as we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Our mutual connection to Jesus is our unity and fellowship. It's not that we all believe the exact same things about predestination or the tribulation or whatever. That's not where our unity comes from. Our unity comes from the fact that we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, there are standards, and there are things that we ought to hold to the truth of, like that this word is without error, and that, and that there, is, there is salvation in no other name, and we must know Jesus. We ought, to, we ought to focus on those things, but we ought not to forget that it's not just knowledge we ought to remember that it is our unity that comes from christ that brings freedom from the darkness of satan freedom from the darkness of the world and freedom from the darkness of sin as we remember that and focus on him we become living examples we embody the truth of matthew 5:14 jesus said you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, speaking to his followers. A city that's set on a hill with lights ablaze can't be hidden. And as we live in a way that brings glory to God, as we follow Jesus, filled with his spirit, walking in the light, we embody and we show him to the world. Philippians 2.15 says this, that we're to live in a holy way so that we may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
shining like stars. Shining stars known by our wisdom, our works, our joy, the way that we bless and encourage others, the insight that we have into life and its problems, and the way that we bring encouragement. Uh, My wife loves to decorate our house for Christmas. And we own several trees. How many trees do we own? Three, four, like kids want to decorate a tree. There's enough trees that like they can have their own, right? There's, there's usually, did you say five? There's always five. Okay, five trees. Most of them get lights on them and the lights have to be just so. An even distribution of light. Listen, I have learned at this point, it's either by the pre-lit tree Right? That's like, oh, you know, take the tree out of the box, put the three pieces together, connect the strands, plug them into the wall, and it's like, oh, glorious day. Like, that was easy. I love it. I'm like, I will, yes, I think I spent $72 the first time, and I was like, I will never set up that thing that has 64 pieces ever again, because you still have to put the lights on after you do all that work. Crazy. The tree, though, is not glorious unless it is plugged in, right? Unless it is connected to the power. And that is something that I believe that we have to realize and embody if we are going to teach the world. We live in a day and age where the idea and the concepts of spiritual enlightenment, they are, it is, it is popular and good to be seen as a good person, as a community volunteer, as someone who helps and who encourages. Those are all good things, but it's just like, it's just like being a tree and it not being plugged in. It doesn't bring the light of the world unless it eventually connects to Jesus. Listen, this is where conversations get weird, folks, and you start thinking, I'm going to lose this friend, or they're going to get mad at me, because we might be talking about social issues, or about doing good things, or political problems, and then all of a sudden you bring up the name of Jesus, and it's like, eh, it gets weird, because that's where the contest really is. Because when we start talking about Jesus, Satan starts working overtime and our sinful self-defense mechanisms start rising up and going to work. And the world way of thinking starts firing on all cylinders. That's where the contest is. But that's where it's always been. From the moment that Jesus came, he said to his people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will never be separated, but will have the light of life. May we believe that from the core of our being and seek to embody that to a watching world that they too may have salvation. It's too small a thing to paraphrase Isaiah 49 that God should just save the group of people in this room. No, instead, he appoints and sends us to Salisbury, to Delmarva, to Maryland, to the United States and the world to bring glory to himself, to bring life 
to those who are called according to his purpose and to bring joy to all who know him. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to to share this word. We pray that, that you would shape us and use us according to your will. Father, we pray that we would be challenged and changed, that we would be shaped by your word. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who is thinking, I am walking in darkness. I still embody my inner cockroachness. I pray that they would have the faith and confidence in your word to walk out into the light and to say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And to know that the scriptures promise that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, I pray for those who seek to share, who seek to to be used to speak to those around them, who seek to be witnesses of light in the world. I pray that you would help them to know that there is power in your name and there's power in your word and that if they simply trust and speak that you will do the work. And so we pray that you would find us faithful, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.